we are not going to have enough time to cover everything and have all the wonderful discussion we want to have. But we're just going to start the conversation, and hopefully that will be uh, beneficial for you and the relationships you have around these tables and in your lives. Uh, so the first thing we want to start out with is uh, we have a, two little actresses. Uh, Karen and Annika are going to act out some authentic dialogues that happen among teenage girls, so age 13 to 18. So this is from a research study that was done by a professor on campus, Dr. Lexi Giblin, if any of you have taken abnormal psychology. This is uh, from her dissertation, PhD dissertation. And it was all about uh, the uh, conversations that girls and young women have about their bodies and about appearance. And so you'll, you'll get the authenticity of these conversations as they do it and take in what we hear and what we're a part of. So. I wish my stomach was like that. Your stomach is like that. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, it is. Oh. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Okay. So I'm, I'm the interviewer. Where does the pressure to look a certain way come from? Like, when you hear guys talk about who's hot. I think it comes from guys, too, because, like, you don't want people to be like, they're talking about you. Oh, she's so ugly or she's so fat or something like that. You know? Because that's the worst. You don't want them to make fun of Make fun of your flaws. If the truth be told, when it comes down to it, like, if you're a guy, if two girls have the same personality, you're going to choose the hotter girl. Like, so, it's there. Like, it's there. I'm changing schools now, and I hate to say I would try to be friends with the pretty people, but it's the truth. Like, because chances are the pretty people are the popular people. Yeah. There was a survey taken on women in America, and it was like, would you rather weigh 250 pounds or get hit by a semi-truck? Uh, I would get hit by a semi-truck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really have a place to clip this. So I'm just going to hold on to it. So I, I, I share those because I think it is the reality of where we are. And, and what happens, right, is that we're part of those dialogues or we think those things, we believe those things as women, and we then react. We feel we need to do something to fix our bodies or to control what we feel needs to be controlled or uh, change or you know, make the changes that we think will make us better or make that guy like us or whatever. And the reality is that is what we're a part of. And um, often where that leads us is definitely the diet culture, the diet cycle, the, the world of dieting that's out there. And that's where we're going to start today because the big... Uh, alternative that I'm going to present is, is something that base, basically starts with saying, I'm, I'm not going to diet. I'm not going to get in that right race. I'm not going to dive in and believe and uh, convince myself that this is going to work for me for the hundredth time. So, um, so before we do that, I just want to give a little bit more context, although Annika's introduction was great. Um, I, I want for you guys to know, too, that through my process, a lot of people want to know this question, and so I just want to answer it for those of you that want to know. Um, I've never struggled with an eating disorder, specifically diagnosed eating disorder, but what I do know is that I'm a woman of the world, and I feel that throughout my life there have been these these moments where, for some reason, I didn't go there, but I have the personality traits, and I know the thoughts, and I know the beliefs, and I, I've been in that moment. I mean, one specifically is college, spring break, lost weight, got all this attention, went on spring break, did things I shouldn't have done, you know, and felt good, like, hey, whoa, this is about, you know, it felt very much so connected to the size my body was at that point, point. Um, and then just came home and 
whoa, like broke, wait, 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 wait. This is not the way that I want my life to go. So for some reason, I didn't go that direction. But I want for you to know that even at this stage in life, uh, you know, it still is a decision every day that I have to make to love my body, appreciate who I am, and eat the foods I want to I eat. And so I want for you to know that even if I haven't been down that full road, for so many of you, if you haven't either, this is just the, the topic and these kind of conversations that we have and this issue is something that eating disorder or not, we just face food and body issues, right? This is something we as girls, women talk about, and it is a part of becoming a strong woman in this culture is to engage this topic and determine how you want to approach it. So uh, know that I've done that work and I sit with people doing this work and it's, it's hard stuff, but uh, I hope that you guys can feel like you walk away today with some, some hope and some new tools to, to continue to, to fight this fight in our culture. So, so in the work that I do as a registered dietitian, uh, there's some basis, basic philosophies that I, and tenets of kind of the work that I do. So one of them is that I'm a non-diet dietitian. Okay, so diet is in the title of my profession, which I despise. Um, <laughs> it's a four-letter word in my world, um, but it's a part of my professional name. Um, but it's, uh, I'm a non-diet dietitian, which means that when somebody comes to me, I'm not going to just sort of hand them the, I don't know, something out of a file that says, here you go. This is what you should eat. Um, so that's kind of the basis of non-diet. And I, I share these because as you guys may want to research more or know more about this, these are some of the things you could do searches on Google for or uh, look for books and, and things, resources on. The other tenet of the work that I do is a philosophy and an approach that many health professionals are going towards, which is an approach called health at every size. And what this believes is that truly one can be healthy at a variety of shapes and sizes. And this is obviously very countercultural. Everything I share today pretty much is, but it's, it's very countercultural. Um, there is definitely a belief that thinness equals health in our culture, but when we really look at the research, it doesn't add up, okay? So in that, the work that I do with people is allowing for them to truly come to an acceptance point of what is their body, their genes, who they are, based on the foods they like, based on the activities they like, based on their economic status, whatever it might be, but what is the size, body, and shape that they are, and how is that healthy for them, versus fitting into some BMI chart or some weight chart um, that feels um, maybe some doctor or somebody has told them that they should fit into, or parent has told them they should fit into. So health at every size is the other kind of tenant to this. And, and in doing this, I teach the principles of intuitive eating. And I'm going to go over these 10 principles um, in... Um, and it comes from a book by, written by two dietitians. And in their handout on the front page, there's the 10 principles of intuitive eating. And what I want to say about this is that this, this phrase was coined by these dietitians when they wrote this book in 1995. But really, this is just the way that we were created. This is the way that our body works, is that we can trust that our metabolism is something that, that is going, and we cannot control it. And you're going to hear that as a main theme throughout everything I share today is we're moving uh, diets and that whole mentality that is potentially the mainstream belief that's out there is all about control. It's how do we, one, how do we control our bodies? How do we make it do and be and look the way we want it to versus trusting our body and allowing and believing in the value of it and believing in the systems that we were born with <laughs> um, and working with it versus against it. So 
that is uh, a big uh, piece to this principle, the, the principles of intuitive eating that you'll hear. So without further ado, let's just dive into these 10 principles, okay? Because we don't have a ton of time, and I, I do want time for question and answer. So uh, let's, I, I don't know if uh, we can just, if you guys want to not listen to me here, not hear my voice for just a moment, and read through this description of what is normal eating, because I think it does give an overview of where I believe an intuitive eater lands. So when somebody is an intuitive eater, this is likely a good summary description of the way that they, they eat and relate to their body. So take a moment and read that. Was that a yes? Okay, perfect. Okay, so I, I, I share that because sometimes people feel somewhat uncomfortable with some of the ways that they describe normal eating in that. Uh, and this is written by a different dietitian that didn't write this book necessarily, but um, I do believe there's freedom in the way that that describes eating. And I do believe that that's the freedom that can move us from freedom from dieting and from hating our bodies. And so I will get into that connection for sure. So, all right, the 10 principles. So that's on that front cover too. Number one, reject the diet mentality. So what does that exactly mean? Um, I, I will I'll say this, and I'll start with this. You know, the statistics around dieting are pretty crazy, right? So at one point, you can usually, they'll say up to 80% of women are dieting. Um, on a college campus, it's definitely that high. Uh, and really, dieting, what does that mean? It's really usually making some alteration in one's eating pattern, usually eliminating some food group or some category of food, doing some sort of restriction some some cutting back of something. And it usually means that people are going to go hungry and have a cycle that usually will happen. And, oh, the other thing I want to say about dieting is that all research shows that dieting doesn't work. So somebody is, that the hopeful cycle, the publicity that's out there, the $40 billion-plus industry that is dieting and all the things related to it is really convincing, right? I mean, the ads are convincing. I mean, maybe sometimes ridiculous, but they're still, like, they can, they can find a new way to sort of hook us in, right? I mean, so they know what they're doing, and they know their clientele. Like, that's the thing. I mean, wow. Okay, so they've been studying us forever, and they know that's we are their clientele So um, and their market. And so, But the reality is the dieting doesn't work. So people that diet and go on this cycle that I'm going to show and you guys have a handout on, end up being larger in size. So if most goals of dieting is weight loss, I mean, that is really the most, mostly the goal. Uh, might, might be kind of disguised in health and wellness, but most people, because of what I talked about earlier, that thin equals healthy in our culture, that connection, most people are doing a weight loss diet, right? So um, it's pretty rare to find somebody that's truly doing something truly just for health. And we, whatever. So, um, okay, so it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And generally speaking, not even just related to the, the weight goals that they maybe are hoping for doesn't even resolve in what they hope for, but also overall health uh, in terms of other um, symptoms. If it's heart, cardiovascular health and um, emotional health, anything else related to the, um, um, medical stability, people that diet in the long run also tend to be less healthy. Okay, because of the instability that their body is going under, as well as our mind and our emotions and all that it gets, gets, you know, gets all messed up when we do the dieting cycle. So here it is, the vision of the church. Okay. Oh. Okay. 
Here we are in Minnesota in the summer. (laughs) Okay. All right. So you guys have this. It's a full sheet on the back of those 10 principles. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of self-explanatory. The one thing that I would tell you is that different people have different points of entry, uh, different stages in different people's lives, if they're more of a cycle dieter, are going to enter this at different points. So for some people, it might start with the fact that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they were put in a nutrition class or they have a family that's just obsessed with food and kind of created this obsession with food. So then they go, okay, so there's an obsession with food. There's kind of this good and bad category. But then they find themselves eating the good, the bad food that tastes really good. But because they've been reading this or that, they feel guilty about it or our culture. They see the ad that says, oh, no, you know, chocolate's going to go straight to their butt. So then they start feeling guilty about it, right? And then, um, and then they just go, oh, what the heck? I've blown it all or nothing. I might as well just eat more of whatever I've been forbidding myself of, right, or been restricting myself of. And then there's sort of this moment of going, oh, okay, all right, my body has food in me. Good, good, good. And then there's temporary relief. But then they remember what happened, right? Oh, I hate that that happened, hating self, feeling shame, depressed. And then, okay, tomorrow, resolve, resolve, resolve. Maybe it's a Monday, maybe it's January 1st, maybe it's tomorrow, whatever. I'm going to do it better. And so then has the new rule, the new plan, the new diet, the new exercise plan, whatever. Um, And then that's going to lead to hunger and fatigue, the feelings of deprivation that lead to dieting. So I started here with the obsession with food, but just know that every – Buddy kind of can enter at different points, and it can kind of go. And this is one cycle. Everybody has their own personal routine, but I think it's a pretty good general sense of what is the cycle of dieting. And it just is. It's known to be. There's no sustainable diet out there uh, that fits into this category of dieting. Okay, so we put uh, cards on the, on the table, too, if you guys have questions. So feel free to write them down if that would be more comfortable for you. So we will have some time for Q&A. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so, so the, the principles of intuitive eating and this approach to how to feed yourself and how to relate to your body, intuitive eating, begins by saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to tell myself that I'm going to follow these strict rules. I'm not going to put myself on this new diet. Okay? And it also is believing in what I said about the, what, really isn't true about the diet mentality, okay? So that's kind of number one where it's got to start. So number two is honoring your hunger, which you guys also, okay, so number two is honoring your hunger. Number five is feel your fullness. And number six is discover your satisfaction factor. I'm just going to sort of combine those while we look at the next, see if, well, I think it might take a little too much time to try to figure that out, but you guys can find it in your handout. It's big enough. So this hunger fullness scale. Okay. So this is from a different book than intuitive eating, but intuitive eating has its own version. I just like this one better. So, but the next step is let's honor the way that our body is and how it's working naturally. So let's look at the, the cues of our metabolism. So metabolism, what I always say is the metabolism is the way that our body is working to efficiently use up the food that we, we take in and send those nutrients throughout our body in an efficient way. Um, and its voice to us is hunger and fullness. 
So when we feel hungry or we feel full, we feel that satisfaction, that's the voice of our metabolism. It's the voice that is that system in our body. And so much that you, in in the diet world, tells you to control that, control your metabolism, curb your hunger, right? Make sure, you know, your appetite can get out of your, out of control, you know. And I would say, no, 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 no. Like, honor your hunger. Listen to it. Respect it. Take it in. Learn about it. And actually see if it's going to give you some truth to follow through in. Because so often, um, if we actually do that, it's gonna, it's going to be trustworthy. Like, this is where the trust comes in of believing your body truly can direct you to eating appropriately. Uh, and so when, when, I, when I talk about honoring your hunger, honestly, the simplest belief that goes along with that is eat. I mean, eat. We don't get that message. Women do not get that message, <laughs> that it's okay to eat. <laughs> um, it's, everything else tells, like, watch that, hung-, you know. So I just want you to hear that. Like, it is okay that you are hungry, you have an appetite, your body needs nutrition, eat, you know. So that is one of the most important things there to, to note. When, um, what we find is that if we put a whole bunch of preschool kids in a room with a variety of different foods, there's research that's done this over and over and over, they choose the balanced variety of food over time. Okay? So that's amazing. And we as adults would never trust our, I mean, so often would we not trust ourselves in a room full of food when we're hungry, you know? We're never gonna, we have to go in, okay, make this perfect little balanced meal and, you know, don't look at those yummy, creamy, chocolatey things. I don't know, right? But that's, that's the sad part of it is that kids are born this way, but the way that our culture communicates in the different, you know, different family structures, different beliefs, different philosophies get in the way of just this natural hunger and the way that we can listen and trust that. So, at this stage in your life or whatever stage anyone sort of begins to explore intuitive eating, it, it's a process of coming back to going, what, what is hunger? You know, if it's really been something that they haven't identified with as the, the direction to go, like that's, that's the reason that they would choose to eat is that their body tells them to, you know, that is something that we aren't told that naturally. So it is a process. So when I bring, put that scale in front of people, some people are go, uh, of course, you know, but others go, what? I've never, I've never even thought of a range of hunger and fullness and the fact that there would be this continuum of ways to identify hunger and fullness. So I don't know where you guys land in that individually, but, um, so the, so it's honoring your hunger is a pretty key piece. And then it's feeling your fullness. So I'm going to jump to number five related to that. So that's the other spectrum of that continuum, right? And it's just, Saying also that while you're eating, connect with food and like connect with your body, connect with the food that you're eating, because with that you're gonna end up feeling number six, which is the the satisfaction factor. Okay, discovering that. So when you're eating, you've 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 come to food, you're feeling hungry. You think, huh, I'm hungry. I think I want to eat something. You go towards the kitchen or wherever the food's available, and you choose something that looks gonna be delicious and satisfying. And then uh, you sit down and you choose to eat that until you get to this point of fullness that feels right and satisfying and is appropriate. Again, this that might not be something that's familiar. Some people only know really, really extreme fullness. 
and that's what's familiar to them. That's what they were taught in their family. Maybe they had to clean their plate, so that's what's familiar. You know, whatever, it, whatever different scenarios lead to, but some people are way more familiar with real extreme fullness versus just that kind of, I'm satisfied, full, I'll be hungry in a few hours kind of moment. So that's a big tenet to this as well, is identifying where is that point where you're full and you're satisfied and you can be, you can be done with food and move on to the next event if it's studying or being with friends or going outside, you know, but food isn't on your mind at that point. And you have food in your belly and you're satisfied and having that energy for the next few hours. So again, that's a process for some people. Okay, so um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about the satisfaction factor. So hopefully, right, when you're hungry, you're gonna, the, the, the hope and belief of this is that you choose the food that's really tasty and that's you're actually going to really enjoy so that you can get to a point of satisfaction. So again, that's not something that we always get the message of, like think there's more of a message of try to pick the thing that might be, um, might have this health benefit for you or is the perfectly balanced meal or has all the colors of the rainbow or all those things, which I'm not saying are bad things to incorporate into some of your decisions. But when I, when I, I do want to emphasize that pleasure, you know, in response to this craving or this appetite, this hunger that we have, to have pleasure when we eat and enjoy food is why we have taste buds. You know, I mean, it is why it is. And it, it, we're, we are animals. So if we didn't have a, a positive reward cycle that in reaction to food, if we didn't have this pleasure that came, why would we, okay, got to take, you know, go to prehistoric times here, but okay, why would we go and hunt and gather and get food? Why would we make the effort to do that? You know, we, there is some reward that comes, and that's one of the reasons there is pleasure in those taste buds is for that. And so, okay, so we don't live in that kind of world, and we can get food 24 hours and whatever, but it still is true that it is something that keeps us coming back to taking care of our bodies, to feeding our bodies, to honoring our bodies. Okay. So that's what's, okay, so I'm going to jump back to number three. Uh, and so hopefully you're hearing the basis of this, okay, listen to your body, hunger and fullness, it's the way that your body works, honor that. So, but we've learned throughout our life as kind of that diet cycle maybe I mentioned slightly, referred to, was that we... We've learned a lot of different rules or beliefs or um, there's all sorts of different research. I can't keep up on all the nutrition research related to food and body and nutrients. I mean, I, there's no way I could keep up with all that. <clears throat> so we can get inundated by all this information. Um, and so how do we make peace with food? You know, if, if we have been, if we've throughout our life created these beliefs and these rules, I would say a lot of times, especially for those that have dieted, there's sort of this residual list of rules. How late should you not eat past? You know, what, what foods are the best ones to have in the morning? Or what, all these things that are more based likely on some plan that was given. And I think of, I think of South Beach, which is something that probably, some of you have probably attempted, right? Or done, or maybe are doing right now. But they have definitely very clear markers of some fruits that are not good, you know? And so, I, I mean, people come going, okay, I, I just can't, I can't do, I can't eat raisins because this is, from this season of my life, I've never been able to eat raisins since this because of what I read about with the South Beach diet. So whatever those sources of information have been for you, I believe that they cause more turmoil 
in when we're trying to just honor our hunger and honor our fullness, it gets caused more turmoil in our brain. So that's where the making peace with food comes in. And the, uh, and it is really important in that to feel a freedom with food, to say, I have permission to eat. And it, if it, if that means that, you know, I might, uh, really, really have the taste buds and the enjoyment of fruits and veggies, so be it. If I really have the taste buds and the enjoyment for Oreo cookies and, you know, McDonald's, so be it, you know? So it's just identifying how are you, each person can identify what they, what you as an individual truly enjoy and what works for you, okay? And the, what's scary for most people is that, oh boy, if I give myself permission to just truly eat what sounds really good, especially the people that would be maybe eating the Oreos and the McDonald's, right? There's more guilt associated with that in our culture. There's more negativity around that. Um, ooh, if I really gave myself permission, there's no, there's no end to what would happen. Um, definitely strong belief that I would ex- exponentially gain weight. Um, you know, and, and it just does not feel like I could truly do that and trust that I will make choices that will end up being balanced and provide my body with the nutrients that it needs. But what I find is that when people actually take away those rules and the beliefs and the shoulds and the should nots around food, that's when they're like, huh, I could, I like, yeah, I like that, but I also like this. And hmm, if you combine that, it's sort of balanced. And that's surprising. Like, I would never want that before. I have so many people that if they're chronic dieters, they come in, they're like, I will never eat a salad ever again, you know? And then they do. <laughs> After it can be a long cycle, it can be a year to two years that they have to work through saying, all right, I'm going to give my permission to eat. And they do and they do. But then they come back and go, I'm kind of craving a green vegetable. You know, I kind of want those small baby carrots that were like the free food on Weight Watchers, you know. But now they're like, hey, wait, I think I kind of want carrots, you know. So anyway, so you get that kind of it's, it's a very scary process to truly work through making peace with food. But again, that permission is, is really, really a wonderful thing. And is, it's totally the peace, the, the, the path to freedom. Um, challenging the food police, I've kind of already covered that in explaining some of these principles. Um, the, food, the food police is just the voice that's in our head that has all those rules, and that's leading us to having some of the guilt around food and um, beliefs about that. So that can come, I, like I've said, it could come from coaches. Coaches I did not mention, but I would say coaches parents. I mean, that's certainly a pretty strong uh, magazines, friends. Okay. Uh, anything else about that? Okay. And the, I think I haven't said this straightforwardly, but when challenging the food police and those strong beliefs and making peace with food, a lot of it, and you're going to hear, you would see this if you read this book, but, uh, and it says it in the normal eating quote, but to, to really neutralize food and to not allow for there to be good food and bad food, because when we eat the good food, then we're good and we're virtuous and we're moral and we're superior and we're good, you know. Or, and then if we eat the bad food, we're disgusting and we're bad and we're, you know, all those negative words. <laughs> Whatever all those other negative words that go through all of our minds, right? So, okay, so how then, if we neutralize food, can we then not allow for food to determine our worth, okay? And that's pretty key to, I think, being a woman in our world is to not allow for food to determine and the way that we eat to determine who we are, our identity, and our worth. So, uh, so I think that's that's a pretty big piece too to 
to neutralize food and allow for that experience of permission and freedom with food does involve that. Okay, so seven, cope with emotions without using food. I'm going to kind of, the next few, I will, I'm, they're less the, the real base base, but cope with emotions without food. Uh, I think that kind of says it. I mean, the whole, that, that chapter would talk about it a lot. Uh, one thing that I would um, say is it's basically just trying to find ways to comfort, to nurture, to uh, entertain. You know, eating when you're bored in college is like the, one of the easiest, cheapest, most accessible entertainment strategies, right? That's what I always think. It's like, well, it's, it'll take me a few minutes. It breaks up the moment. And so it's, it's actually quite functional, right? Boredom eating. And, uh, and so doing that sometimes is one of your boredom strategies. Nothing wrong with that. You know, that's what normal eating talks about that, right? It says sometimes eating um, when you're sad, mad, bored, okay? I would say, yeah, great. Eat when you're bored but have it not be the only thing you do when you're bored, right? Um, especially and if you're sad. I, you know, I think about comfort food, and I think they get a bad rap. I would say, I, have, I think everyone should have comfort food. That's just an association with food that can bring up good things. You know, my, my mom always made this vegetable soup whenever, or, and, and it was my grand, grandmother's recipe. And so what did we eat when my granny died when we went home to the funeral? We had vegetable soup in droves, you know? <laughs> What was my mom doing? She was creating this soup. It was a comfort food. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It connects us. It takes us across the ages. It takes us across the planet. You know, maybe you've traveled or it connects you to people. That's, that's, that's emotional eating, if you want to say it that way. But it's a really productive emotional eating. What people fear about emotional eating is emotional overeating. Okay? People always associate those two together. And I would say it doesn't have to be associated together. You can emotionally eat and have connections with food. That's a beautiful thing. But keeping it to going, all right, I'm going to also, in the midst of this, honor my hunger and honor my fullness, right? Okay. Number eight, um, respect your body. Okay. So this is definitely related more to some of the uh, some of the things we kind of talked about early on. But I, I would just say it is so important and essential in this process to not believe that this is just another weight loss scheme, Okay. So this is not, this is not, I'm not promising anybody that they are going to fit into the criteria of cultural ideals by doing intuitive eating. What I am saying is that one will be the size, shape, body that they are designed to be. And that takes some, a, a lot of time to accept and believe and uh, see worth in the size and shape that their body is. And so it is just knowing your genetic makeup and accepting that. And taking that in as something that's, that's yours to, to receive and to see as that gift. And one of the things I guess I want to, to, to share is that when I see people truly feel like they are eating intuitively and they are feeling really um, connected to honoring their hunger and their fullness and they're eating the enjoyable foods and they're stopping when they're full and maybe sometimes, you know, having a little bit more than they want to, but, oh, it tasted so good, you know, just kind of just this, this flexible flexibility with food. I find in that, that scenario is when that person, regardless if their weight, size, shape is what they ideally wanted when they maybe began seeing me or when they began this process of intuitive eating, but in that moment, that's when they are loving their body. Like they are holding themselves strong. They are confident. Why? Because what they're doing with their body, they're feeling great about. And I just, that is the thing that I, I, it's so sad to think about the diet mentality is that 
there is a, there are a lot of heads being held up high and like, oh man, I'm feeling so good. But in their heart of hearts, they are hurting themselves in the way that they're treating their body, right? And they know it and it's not sustainable. And then they go through the cycle and feel the guilt and the shame and all that. And so this is a sustainable way of truly going, wow, today I'm faced with food. I'm faced with my hunger. I'm faced with my appetite. And I can also feel like, wow, this is the body that I've been given. This is the body that I get to live in. And I just keep feeding it the way that I do. It's going to keep being this body. Um, and it's just, it's stable. It's consistent. It's, it doesn't lead to tons of fears and questions. And what is it going to do? Uh, so I think when I think about respecting your body, it, it, that's what it is. It's coming to kind of believe that, yes, the genetic piece is who I am. And this is my makeup. And then it's really trusting that those, those hunger and fullness cues are working. And the metabolism is working. And it's trusting that. So, uh, Let's see. The one thing I wanted to state about, uh, about just genetics and sort of coming to understand what is your natural body size and shape, especially to college age. Uh, I think it's, this is an interesting season of life to sort of wonder what is my adult body <laughs> going to be like? Because, you know, the big freshman 15 that people always talk about, I see that. I see that actually being a lot more of a continuation of one's puberty and one's maturation than anything else. I mean, I I can yes, of course, there's some patterns with food and things like that that can happen. Certainly in college, that can lead to that. But I think what I see more than anything is that people that come in describing that as a psych or that something that occurred for them, I'll look back and I'll hear about their high school patterns of life and it was unrealistic to maintain, right? So it's tons and tons of after-school activities with tons of athletics, tons of activity, and um, and still going through puberty. Like, like, well, I remember sophomore year when I was da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, but were you totally done maturing as a woman at that point? I, not often. I mean, it's not always the case that this is true for people, but I guess I just want to also allow for you to, if you're trying to go, well, I don't even really know what body is my body, try to look beyond high school, you know? So, and it, especially as you get older and older and you look at high schoolers, they don't look like women. They don't, okay? So <laughs> they look, they still look like kids, they do. And so just, yeah, go with that. <laughs> just hear it from me. Okay, and then the other, the other piece to... Um, to that is uh, maybe you look at genetics and you think, great, okay, mom, dad, all right, I'm like mom and dad, so I can do that. Okay, that's true, but we also live in a diet culture, okay? So I would also challenge you to think through how do your parents approach food? Because if they have been controlling their eating, been pretty restrictive, maybe excessive exercisers, okay, like you could, you could follow that same path and then your genetics would probably look like theirs, right? But do you really know what their genetic makeup truly is? And I just, I guess I want to give people that freedom also to make sure that when you're looking at your genetics, you're really looking at them, not just looking at the face value, physical size of them. Because I think it's important to make sure you look at their patterns, habits, beliefs around food to make sure that that's what you're really going for. Okay. Number nine, exercise. Feel the difference. Okay, exercise, huge piece to a connecting link. I think most people would explain that exercise is something that gives them uh, a really, you know, if it says freedom from hating our bodies, you know, it's one of the parts of this title of this talk. Totally, right? People probably, most people would say, when I'm active, I, I do. I appreciate and love my body more. Okay, that's great. 
Um, but I just want, you know, I think the most important thing is that it's not out of obligation, right? So that you have found the activity, the, the um, you know, joyful movement is the term in my world, in the non-diet world, uh, the joyful movement that makes you sing, you know? Uh, so it could be, it can be non-traditional. When I moved here, however, whatever year that was, 99, I couldn't believe, I was like, so the whole Green Lake running phenomenon, I, I was like, wow, okay, running. Running is a part of Seattle culture. It wasn't a part of Kentucky culture. I, you know, that just wasn't as much a part of it. But you just can get sucked into that stuff. And then you kind of, I remember going, okay, but I, I hate running. I mean, you, you can t- Ryan has some, if you know Ryan, Ryan has hilarious stories around that. I mean, we would try to run. I'd be like, entertain me. Like, I'm so, I hate this, you know. I hate running, you know? It's like, I've tried. I don't like it. It's free. It's cheap. It's efficient. I get it. All those things are so positive. I hate it. Um, and, and he really hates running with me. So that didn't work out well. Um, but anyways, so, you know, other things, other things. Like, I, I kayaked on Mother's Day, and I loved it. I mean, it, like, makes me so happy, you know? Joy, total pure joy. I mean, pure joy. So just whatever that is um, for you, finding that. And not allowing, not keeping, not feeling like you have to fit into that mold of what maybe everybody in your house is doing, whatever everybody's down the street's doing. Okay. And then the last one is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. And I think this is where, um, you know, it's important for me to, to talk through this is what, how do you, how do you integrate what you might read about nutrition? So I'm not saying ignore everything you ever read or, you know, don't, think at all about nutrients or the value that they are in your body. But, you know, just be, be wise <laughs> about how you're going you know, to filter the information. What I would say is being a critical viewer of the media, which is the same media that, you know, promotes the unrealistic, you know, pictures of our bodies, right? Just be critical of the media in the same way about how these nutrition messages get out there. And the main thing I would say about it is, uh, you know, when you honor your health, with, with nutrition means everything that you t- everything you might read, you might go, huh, okay. So I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that I, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Great breakfast idea. Okay. This is the best breakfast out there. Superpower breakfast. Okay. So then you go, all right, I'll try it, but just experiment. Don't be like, okay, I got to do this breakfast. This is going to work for me and think that it's going to work for you. You are your own expert. You know, everybody, the, another thing I hate about my profession, registered dietitian, the nutrition expert, totally don't believe it. Like, that's not my belief at all. You are your own expert. I'm my own expert. And so I take in whatever information out there about nutrition and I test it out for me. I'm not going to believe it just because it says it. I'm going to test it out for my body and see if that really does make me feel like I've got great energy for the day. So um, filter, be a good critical viewer of the media. And when... I, uh, yeah, and there, this also kind of speaks a little bit to different health conditions, maybe food allergies or diabetes or things like that and how to integrate, you know, these principles into health conditions that are definitely impacted by different, uh, you know, different, different combinations of nutrients and such. So that's what that chapter, that principle sort of addresses in that way too. So those are the 10 principles of intuitive eating with the foundation definitely and hopefully you're hearing is that hungerfulness scale and trusting your body, believing that it, it truly works. Um, so I guess I, I will, uh, leave it at that.
to say, are there questions that you guys want to arise, arise right now? Um, I don't, I, one of the things I didn't, I was going to do is sort of profile, like, are most of you here with people that you live with in your sorority or in your house or um, maybe a small group Bible study you're part of? Like, do you want to talk amongst yourself right now? I mean, it's only, let's see, yeah, it's 10 minutes to 8, so it's not a ton of time. You know, and we could certainly do that. Um, if this just feels, that would be the best use of time to just continue this conversation among your own community. Um, but I also am open to questions and hopefully answers if I have them, um, if that's what you guys want. So any thoughts, Annika, or I don't know, anybody? If there are any, yeah, okay. Or comments or like experiences, reflections, conversation. It can be conversation. Go ahead. So, or like sweetener, like fake sugars and stuff like that, maybe? Okay. So this is what I would say, is that in moderation, everything works. And it doesn't majorly interfere with your, your, your appetite, your metabolism, all of those things. I think when it does interfere is when you think about something like, um, I don't know, Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi in like major abundance, right? Uh, that is going to be... That is going to, the caffeine of that and then the fake sugars of that are going to interfere with these honoring of the hunger and fullness. So, but things like high fructose corn syrup, I go, eh, you know, whatever. It's like, it's, it's something, yes, you could, you could debate that it's unnatural. You could debate that it is natural. Um, but I believe in moderation. Your body can handle it. I mean, it's, it's not taking that many years off your life to eat some of those candies or whatever that has high fructose corn syrup. And in the big context, if you really like it and that's what works for you and economically that's what works for you, it's probably not true for this room, right? As economics are probably not as much of an issue. But I say if that works in moderation, eh, it's fine. Like, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's my response. So, but they're definitely, and it is experimentation. I've had people when, when they say, well, I don't know if that's really true. I'm like, okay, well, that, that's totally, that's totally fine. Like, Maybe want to give it a little bit of an experiment to see if, if you were to maybe have less of some of the fake sugars, what would happen? And I tend to, anecdotally, people will come back on, huh, I seem to sleep better. I had no headaches or, you know, so they have some sort of reaction to them, but they don't even know because it's so sort of ingrained into their sort of life. So it's, it's one of those things, like I said, experiment. So if that's something that you feel, hmm, I wonder, am I having too much of this fake sugar or high fructose corn syrup or whatever? Experiment with having less, but experiment. It's not a diet. It's not a restriction. It's not, you know, but you can experiment with it and see how you feel. And if it has no impact for you, then it has no impact. So, and allow for that to be true. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I believe that's at play a lot of times in those kind of scenarios is the fact that there probably are some uh, likely a lack of freedom and lack of permission that's truly happening for a person. So there's stigmas that go along with, okay, if I, you know, if, if somebody is more secretive in their eating, there's probably more beliefs around, well, what would, a, when, what would somebody think if they actually saw how I ate? Or I don't want to be, I'm, I'm not that person in my house. I'm the healthy person. So I can't eat, I don't know, 
my favorite chocolates, you know. So I think it's, it's trying to somehow sort of fit into some of that mold. I think some of the secretive thing, it, uh, secretive eating, um, some of that. And then I would say the other side of it in terms of the social context, I think that can happen if somebody has, unfortunately, there's a lot of that sort of preemptive strike that can occur looking at an event. Oh, well, we've got that, so I want to go in hungry. Uh, well, then, if you get too far on that hunger scale on that zero or one, it's going to be pretty hard in the moment to not feel kind of out of control or feel more impulsive. And that's why the value is to be in the sort of a little bit more in the balance zone, experiencing the extremes occasionally, but not day to day. So that's one thing I'd say about that. I also think that um, what I see so much about the, the social eating is that that's one of the wonderful things about eating, is that it is a social thing. And that's something to embrace, it's something to enjoy, and it's something to kind of be present with. And the kind of honoring your satisfaction factor and fullness is something that in a, in a uh, community context or socially is a little harder to do. I mean, it, it is. Like, especially if you're not really connected with your body, it, that kind of <laughs> kind of gets out thrown out the window, and it's like, oh, this looks look good, you know, or someone else keeps eating, so you kind of keep eating. And so it does, it, you know, if somebody finds themselves in that pattern, it, it is something to kind of go, okay, wait, I, I want to I wanna be aware of the fact that I left that feeling way too full. What was going on? Uh, was it not peer pressure, but just sort of that context, yeah, kind of contextual eating? Uh, and could I, could I work on just being more present with myself and more connected with my body and with my fullness and hunger in the moment? Um, one of the things I always like to tell people in, that relates to permission with food is that I like for people to understand that permission with food involves saying yes to food, but it also, which I think you've heard me say, eat, 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 you know, have permission. But I also want people to hear that, you know what, that also means that you have permission to say no. And I think there's a lot of that kind of pressure that goes, I made these pan of brownies. Come on, let's eat them. Don't they look so good? And somebody, somebody literally in the moment might be like, oh, it wasn't, I, don't, I just had a chocolate chip cookie or I don't really even like brownies. Um, and so and just in the moment, feeling kind of more this obligation to that. And, okay, there's some social graces that we have to sort of balance with this. But I also want for people to feel the freedom to go, no, thank you, you know. Oh, I could take some with maybe or, yeah, they look delicious. Uh, you know, I'm just not really in the mood. Like, that's okay. You know, that's part of permission too is saying no. And I think in those social contexts, sometimes people don't necessarily feel that freedom to say no. And it, uh, it does feel more of an obligation to say yes all the time. And that doesn't, that feels like, pre that doesn't feel like freedom either to, to feel like you're always having to say yes. Uh, so. Probably more than you asked for. But. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. Totally. It's great. Uh, yes, because some per I would say this: some personality types can make this a diet, for sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So this is what I would say: is that hunger and fullness goes beyond your stomach is one of the main things I would say. So don't just be looking at stomach hunger and stomach sensation and digestive related things when you're looking at hunger and fullness. Uh, so when, you know, looking to see what that continuum of going from sort of slight hunger to more hunger to intense hunger, what, what else can you notice? 
I would say uh, notice your thinking process, the ability to focus, how your energy level just feels. I think some people will tend to get more fatigued and sluggish and kind of slow, and others might get a little bit more sort of jazzed and a little bit more kind of energetic from it and from some hunger, kind of that season of hunger that's sort of this in-between. So, um, you know, know those cues. Um, allow for it to be full body. Uh, the other thing is interest in food is a huge, huge, huge part of hunger. So if we are starting to think about food, hmm, like it, this could be an indicator. It's not always an indicator because maybe you just walked past a donut shop or something, you know. But you could also, like thinking about food is an indicator often that hmm, like we might be hungry. So, uh, yeah, so allow for yourself to notice all those different cues and those, how those things change as you go from neutral to slight hunger to more hunger to all that. So, and then fullness, um, again, I would say go beyond the, it, it definitely integrates the satisfaction factor. And so one of the things I would say about fullness is that the first bites tend to, when you're hungry and you eat, the first bites tend to have more intensity of flavor. This is for most eaters, okay, most tasters. There are different kinds of tasters out there, but, uh, but, but, but for majority of tasters, they would say that when they sit down to eat and they're hungry, that the first bites are the ones that are the most kind of powerful and most full of flavor and all that. And so kind of notice as you're probably getting full, as you're noticing food in your belly, that likely that taste, the intensity of the flavor, is not as good as the first bites. So then you're kind of going, huh, like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first handful or whatever, but you kind of keep doing it possibly looking for it to taste as good as the first bite, but likely you're not going to get that sensation again until you're hungry again and go back to the food to have that sensation again. Does that make sense? So that's a fullness thing, is looking for that sort of decrease in the interest of food. Um, yeah, and that's just kind of general interest. You kind of maybe start to pick around or you start to maybe be more engaged in the conversation. You start to think about what's next, what, what else you're, you know, looking at doing in the afternoon or whatever. Um, and then... It is, yeah, general, uh, the mind focus and energy level and, and those kinds of things as well. All right. So, uh, yeah, and it, so may, I would say definitely go beyond just the sense of, is my stomach empty or full or, uh, and to other parts of your body. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. So that scale is one person's terms for those sort of zero to 10. And I always encourage people to try to create their own personal experiences and, you know, note what that is and make sure that that's, that's you. That's why you're your own expert. It's different for everybody. So, yes, can you? Um, are there resources in the community to access this? I know, like, mm. I don't feel access because, like, I'm a student and not access to Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Like, if you wanted to have a... Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I guess when I think about it, there are some professionals in the area that do some intuitive eating groups. So it's kind of, again, getting digger, digging deeper into some of these in a group context with other people that are wanting to become intuitive eaters. Uh, so there's some, some resources within that. I know a couple of dietitians that do workshops, like weekend workshops on intuitive eating, and then uh, more of an ongoing class to so that. And then I just think about individuals. I mean, if you're looking to work on this, it, it would be meeting with a dietitian that specializes in working with intuitive eating and has this approach. Uh, and then I just think reading on your own. Um, on here, there's some resources. Uh, 
links, some books. Um, I don't know if that's really what you were looking for. Yeah. 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 Can be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that's when, when I think, when I kind of, I was, I don't know, this doesn't certainly feel complete, but I don't feel as if, there's a whole other talk about food and body would be how do we talk about food and body? And how do we do that in a constructive, helpful way? Uh, because I think that often the conversations are pretty, I don't know, they don't really go into really positive places. So that's what I would say is that, you know, if this, this whole part could be at least opened up with some of the people that you guys are here with to kind of say, oh, man, I'm hungry. I want to go get something to eat, you know, kind of just go with that or, oh, I'm feeling full and just leaving it at that. So what is more common is, oh, I'm feeling so full. I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, I overdid it. But that's the negativity that goes into this negative cycle that that leads to things. So trying to be more just stating the truth about maybe hunger and fullness and recognizing that, but not putting some sort of um, negative or even I would say the exercise component. Oh, I'm so full. I need to go run. Or I ate too much, I better do this in terms of exercise. Trying to fix it, trying to do something in, to remedy it, uh, redeem it. I, I would say those are, the, those are the kind of dangerous loops to get in. So if there's a way that even you as your own person can kind of just verbalize in whatever community of just saying, hmm, I'm full, or wow, that was really delicious, you know, and just being like, hmm, yummy. I mean, versus kind of like the dialogue of going, oh, my gosh, this must have so much fat in it. Oh, I wonder who made it. Oh, that always makes me nervous. I don't know. Just all those worries of the food police, which is totally there. And I don't mean to be condescending when I say that. It's just, oh, you know, it's just tiring and exhausting for, for that voice to keep plaguing us. So I guess, I, I guess it's just trying to catch the negative loop that I think our beliefs and um, thoughts about food can go down and trying to go the other direction. And then when somebody might be expressing some negativity to kind of try to combat, to move the direction towards, you know, what? How do you, you know, what, what do you, what's your body telling you to right now? You know, versus going, oh, yeah, that's true. You know, what is your body telling you? Oh, I just feel really tired. Like, I just want to go lay down on the couch, you know. But I feel like I should go for a run to kind of go, well, maybe you should lay down on the couch and take a nap, you know. So, I don't know, just trying to encourage that movement towards it. So, um, that's, and intu- there's a whole, like, kind of intuitive exercise would be, if you could use that word in terms of it, too, is how do you listen to your body and honor that, um, without the obligation. So, I don't know. Like I said, it could be a whole other talk. How do we interact with each other on this topic? So. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, I believe that uh, there's just, I, I just believe that without, uh, I guess my strong belief <laughs> is that without taking a kind of a intentional stance to some of these things and actually thinking through how do we approach food and how do we approach our body and how we think about our body, I see the default is that we're going to hate our bodies and we're going to diet and we're going to try to fix them and try to always do these, get into that cycle. And I, I just see that as the default. And unfortunately, I just, I, yeah. So I guess my encouragement is if even a conversation like this or throwing some principles of this out there that seem intriguing, I guess I would say pursue it more for yourself because there truly can be freedom to actually loving the body, believing and trusting the body that you've been given, and 
you know, enjoying food and having it be one part of your life and not having it be something that's all-inclusive. All so I, I just believe that this is something that gives freedom and allows for all that headspace to go towards other things, relationships and your career and um, other things that you're, you're desiring for yourself. So I guess, you know, it feels, it, it, I guess the most important thing I would say is uh, this, it is a choice to kind of go against the current or try to not feed into those conversations that you're so much a part of. Um, or that, you know, that are a part of our culture and, you know, try to try to see if this would work for you. And it, it's experimentation, you know, so wish you the best. And I would love, I mean, I, I had on the top, I think your thing has my website, I think, does it? My handout didn't, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can email me through that. Just, just go to the website and then click on contact me or something like that. And I'm totally open to being that resource if there's something there's a dialogue about how to help this person or how to help yourself or what resources out there specifically with this question or even if just like a small question that would just take me a minute to answer I'd, I'd love you know say I heard you at the talk and you know I'd love to continue this dialogue because I, I do man like this is the, this is such a prime time to make these decisions and make a path for yourself that could be different so thanks for listening